Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Information-Driven Leadership, Part 2 with Betsy Freeman. Tell me, tell me some of the things that didn't work out for you or you, that you went down one route and you go, wow, that was that didn't quite work out. Did you have any experience like that? I had a lot of that. Um, and, and I will tell you, my, my leadership experience is that I'm still in the learning mode. Um, I think I unfortunately, I don't think I'll ever mature enough. I'll, I'll be in the learning mode for forever. Um, I'll, I'll give credit to being able to survive the mistakes. And there were many. Uh, because we had no guardrails. We just kind of put two bumpers in place and we started driving the car down the highway at a very high rate of speed. Um, and, and we dropped a uh, we, we dropped a Porsche engine into a VW body. Okay, so we were we were not at all where we thought we would be when we started this. Um, but the credit goes really um, to my team who who did a lot of work and learned with me uh, about taking hits when you were wrong. Um, I went in with the premise that if we failed at something, it wasn't going to be the end of what we were going to do. And um, uh, people were, of course, very worried about that, right? And so we kind of had this instant reaction when we started of, geez, I don't want to tell her if we couldn't get it or if we did it wrong. And now we got to go back and do it and we can't make the 10 days. And so they just didn't want to. So I just kind of got rid of that. Uh, Darren, and I got rid of it because not because I had some great leadership skill, but because the environment in which I was, in which my leadership let, allowed us to be and allowed us to rest, they enabled that. Um, I got myself chewed out uh, by some very high level people at the Pentagon on the E ring, um, and oftentimes uh, in front of, of my, my entire team. Um, I used to take my entire team in, um, um, whoever was on an analyst group, um, to do a particular problem. We went in to brief it to the CIO before it went to the deputy secretary or the secretary. And it always made everybody in the front office very mad because I trooped 35 people in there, right? Because <laughs> I put everybody that did anything, any support, any whatever, um, and not just the core team, right? Because we were all involved in all of the work. It's all success or all failure, and we're all in it together. And um, But they would see me. Uh, get chewed out badly, knowing how much we did. And what I figured out very quickly is I couldn't blink. Uh, I just took it and said, you're right. We should have done it this way. I didn't offer an excuse. I didn't defend myself. I just took it and said, you know what? We didn't get it right. We'll go back and we will get it right. And what? we'd go back and they'd all be apologizing. And I'd say, no, you didn't do anything wrong. We just missed the mark. So let's just keep going. And they're like, yeah. okay. So we just went back at it. And then we turned something even better. And so. so uh, Betsy, that's an incredible lesson that you taught your staff. That's brilliant. Right? Because a lot of times when you go in and you get railed, then you have to come back and through your own filters, figure out how you're going to communicate to the team that we missed the mark. Instead, they got to hear directly from the customer. That's right. right. And, and again, to credit the leadership there, um, 
I, I had the agreement with the CIO and the principal deputy that if we ever did screw something up, which like I said, we did on, on a number of occasions, um, that if they were going to, if they were going to correct me there, um, I didn't, I didn't care that they corrected me in front of the team, but I wanted them to correct me as the leader and not the team. And to the credit of both of those leaders, they made a point of just chewing the living daylights out of me. And then in the next breath, they would say, and team, you did everything you were supposed to do here. We see the level of analysis. We see the level of this, whatever, right? And so um, it, it didn't, I was worried the first time that happened, it was going to be about the leader's failure. It wasn't. The team saw it and they internalized it and they went, if she failed, we failed, right? And, and I said, well, you know, so we failed together, we went together. And we just kind of went on. Um, it just uh, when, when are you going to write a book, Betsy? You need to write a book about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I seriously, I, I've never met a leader that ever did that. Um, like I say, it was only because I was in an environment with leaders above me that allowed me to do that it. Allowed it to happen. I, I think yeah. it's I think it's a brilliant technique because they, your team, gets to see you as the leader. I am responsible. Yeah. Right. If we didn't hit it as a team, that's my fault. Well, right? it is ultimately. Yeah, ultimately right? it is. And ultimately, you're the one that's accountable. I think it goes back to the, the thread I keep coming back to. And that's the thing on leadership, because at the end of the day, if you're not down in it enough to know, and I get it, you know, organizations are big and they're complex. And I only had a team of 50 people there. But at the end of the day, the outreach that we did from there across all of the Department of Defense, um, it, it, there has to be some ability to take yourself and put yourself into where people are thinking through those issues. If you want to understand them as the leader and it does make you accessible, you have to be accessible, you have to be accountable and responsible. And um, they have to see you be accountable, right? Because if you want them to be accountable and responsible, they got to see you do it. Yeah. And if, yeah, they, no. if they don't see you do it, if they don't see you do it, they have no incentive and no reason to do it themselves. They really don't. In no. my personal opinion. That that that's pretty pretty incredible. All right, Betsy, let's shift gears a little bit. Tell me about one of your biggest successes that you just went, maybe that was awesome. You know what I mean? Something just went so well that you were, that you sit back and you go, the team was firing on all cylinders. We knocked it out of the park. We made a huge difference. What made it happen and, and how did that happen for you? So um, let's see, I don't want to get, I don't want to get uh, too lengthy here on you, but um, I think the last question you gave me is related to this question. What were the things that were the toughest, right? Because we had a lot of places where we tried to do things that it didn't work. People didn't want to work with us. Uh, we didn't have enough data to actually do a good analysis. Uh, we didn't have the right people and we had to get it figured out, right? All of those things come into play. Um, the flip side of that coin is, is, is just, is just those same things where we had all of the right things to put some things together. And I, I guess the thing that stands out in my head, maybe the biggest 
Um, actually, Russ says the, uh, the, the, the early um, uh, development of what now the department is using to audit their financials for Congress. Um, we were in a subcommittee meeting to a committee that we'd been appointed to. And on that particular occasion, I, I took my deputy and one of the uh, um, uh, analysts with me because um, they wanted to hear what was going on in the meetings. And we were doing some review um, across the, the, uh, the top of the, the OSD, the Office of Secretary of Defense, and the, the, the major undersecretary's areas there um, to find some efficiencies and look at uh, the accuracy of some data because we needed to find some money that we didn't have. And we knew that it's, there's, it's hidden in there, right? It's wasted, it's duplicative, whatever. Um, and we had been in this, this you know, series of meetings for like four months, and I took these guys on this occasion, and we finally kind of got down to brass tacks where the senior leader and the comptroller said, you know, we just have to have somebody that can do this analysis and we're just not getting there. You know, we're not coming to where we need to be. And I saw my deputy's eyes just get really big and he kind of gave me this, don't do it look, right? And, you know, I knew looking around the table that we could do it. And so I, I stuck my foot in it, much to his chagrin, and just said, you know what, J just let us, let us take a crack at this, right? And so um, the CIO's office was the last place you would go for that kind of support, um, but we did it. Um, we took what we thought was going to be another uh, uh, four or five weeks, and we turned it into actually another four or five months. Um, but we came up with... Um, a, a very large data analysis capability, which uh, help people to understand that when you collect data, you'll know this in the business that you're in, um, and everybody that deals with data gets this. If you're if you're collecting data from many diverse uh, sources, right? It, it everybody says they're they're measuring apples and oranges, but actually it's it comes back as apples and pineapples and pomegranates, and you may have a couple of monkeys and a few dogs in there, right? <laughs> um, and everybody says here's here's our personnel numbers. But because they're all, you know, uh, required in a different way and the standards are different, you, you can't create a baseline in which you can, you can actually operate from. So we did a lot of work to actually do that. Uh, we found um, and, and tested an, an analytic and automated capability, which is the precursor to um, what they're using in the DOD now and belongs to uh, another commercial entity. Um, but it was one of those things that when we got done, um, we sat back and we, we, we said, we can't believe we did that. And so um, we were very excited about it. In the end, the, a lot of the work that we did, there was a great handful of projects that we did the initial analysis on and said, hey, the department's got to go keep going with this because there's more to be done. And this can not only save money, it can save lives. It's the right thing to do for the, the department and for the nation. And many of those ideas went to the Defense Innovation Unit and um, kept and kept going and still live on. And so for those things, we had an opportunity to seed the field. And when you deal with large organizations like the DOD or any large corporate organization, because of all the issues with you know resources and people and leadership and money and culture, um, you, you have to make advancements and transformation over time. And we were just happy to have been at the right place at the right time with the right set of leaders that enabled us to do a mission where we had some latitude. 
And, you know, we, we, we just said, let's just go give it the best shot we got. And if we get it, we get it. Um, and we had a lot of pushback along the way. Uh, but several other military services still use the basis for that analysis and what they do and how they now manage their funding and their resources on things. And so they can give a much more accurate picture of what they're doing to their leadership and thus to, to the Congress and everyone else. So um, I think if you went back and you asked everybody there, that was a big and defining moment for us because we, we worked very hard on it. And even we weren't sure we could do it at, at the start, but we, we ended up doing something we never anticipated. So you just brought up another interesting thing that I see in great leaders, and it's risk-taking. You, you could have sat on your hands that day. Yeah, and my deputy wished I had. (laughs) (laughs) But but you didn't because you you knew even though it was risky, right? Because it's big exposure. You knew you can make a difference. It it is big exposure, but again, it, it you know it comes back to the fact that I knew that if I tried it and we couldn't do it, my leaders would have my back. But what's the opposite to that? Darren, I mean, you know, when, you, when you're in those situations, you can sit there and you can say, okay, then nobody can do it. Yeah. Uh, that can never be the answer. The answer can never be, hey, there's nobody that can take it on. And it is a matter of, it, it is a risk thing. It's a risk management thing. And you do have to manage what you do when you take a risk. Um, but if you never take the risk, then how will you know if you can ever innovate anything? Like I said, when we did it, I have to tell you that night when I went home, I, I think I had two glasses of wine and said, okay, now I, I know I said we should do this and I'm confident we can do it. Do I know how we're going to do it or what we're going to do? No. And so that was a little chilling to me. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, Betsy, because you, you took a, you took a risk and then you went and did it. I, and, and I like what you said here because I don't think you realize something. A lot of people that were that would that were in your shoes or would have been in your shoes would have said, "No, I just don't think it can be done." And you said, "No, you're the type of person if something's on fire, you go there to help. You don't run away." I can tell. Well, look at look at all of the problems we're facing today, Darren. Yeah, this is about this is about strategic strategic insight, right? If you don't try something, you will never know. And we have so many difficult problems that if everybody says it's too hard, how do we get to the next gen of nuclear energy? How do we get to you know um, electric vehicles and charging stations that are secure for cars, right? How do we get to all these other things if we don't try? Um, the reason we don't try is because we're afraid to fail. Um, what I learned in that experience is if I fail, I fail. Um, if you want to fire me, fire me. Uh, there was more than once where I went in and I was so frustrated. I would, you know, set my cat card that got me into the Pentagon and I'd lay it on the CIO's desk and say, okay, I'm just done. Okay. Just, just go ahead and I'm done. Right. And, and he'd say, pick that up, put it on, go home, drink another glass of wine tonight and I'll see you tomorrow morning. Right. Um, and so he was very good about that. Um, and so, uh, uh, but like I say, I think you, you know, my, my premise with the team was always, and they, they know I said two common things. I always said it is figure it out, go figure it out, whatever it is, go figure it out. And the other was make them tell you, no, 
Ooh, okay. I like that. that was one of my biggest is make them tell you no. Can can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I think I know where you're headed there, but I want to make sure everyone understands. So the answer, what you just brought up, is that it's easier just to say no. Yeah, it right. Is. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what everybody does. It's just no because it's too hard. Well, what what an analyst has to be able to do, and a strategist has to be able to successfully do is to make a business case so strong about the impact of what will happen if you succeed that and, and provide all the data and information about what's the cost, what's the timeline, what's the risk, all of those things. And with fact-based evidence, not, hey, I'm going to gut check this, right? So you can prove the math and everything else. But when you can do that, then you can take it in and, and I don't care what leader you put it in front of. This is why options are good and not just recommendations. You know, you give somebody that's at the top of an organization and most often you can lay out the options and you don't have to indicate what should happen because they look at it and they go, duh, I didn't know this. Right. Yeah. Or I didn't see this or there's a piece of information that I didn't have that I wasn't aware of. And that makes a difference and they can make a good choice. Right. And so um, every time we wanted to go do something and we knew that it probably was not going to fly on, you know, first first blush. Uh, my advice, everybody was, you know, build the business case, make them tell you no. And it's if you really build a good business case and you can communicate it quickly and effectively and with a single sheet of paper, um, leaders, public or private, have a hard time telling you no, because it makes so much sense. And it's within the mission. It's within the scope of the business. It works for the operation. It supports the customers. It's secure. Why would you not do it? Right. Yeah. No, no, I, I hear you. So, um, Betsy, this has been incredible. Um, every time I talk to you, I learn so much more. So I appreciate <laughs> I do. I'm like, man, I wish I, I wish I worked for you. I wish I had that opportunity to work for you at some time because I would have learned so much um, um, from just your, just your experience and your, your attitude towards leadership. I, I think it's wonderful. Well, it, I think if there's a bottom line to leadership these days, it's it runs through the thread of everything and the leader is the linchpin. Um, if you if you got to figure out how to hit transformation, if you got to figure out where you're going with technology, if you got to figure out anything about your organization, my challenge to everybody is go back and review and redefine leadership development. Because at every point in an organization these days, it doesn't matter where you go. I hear the challenge from leaders at every level. We just don't have enough leaders. They don't know how to do these things. They aren't open to these types of suggestions. They aren't this, that, and the other thing. And it's because we're working with, with um, um, career development systems and performance management systems and leadership development that are all siloed in their own ways instead of integrated. Um, and we have to start to develop leaders who can ask the technology questions that we couldn't answer before. We don't have technology leaders. We don't have any kind of leader that has grown up so much in an information world that we're challenged with now. And learning those things and teaching people those things about data analytics and the use of AI and all of the other pieces, it's not just technology, right? Those things are essential to how well our companies will perform, how our security will perform going forward. And so I would say if there's one lesson I've learned is that you got to review 
and redefine how you develop your leaders. Um, don't just stuff the new scenarios into the old bag because the old bag is gone. It's not about coloring outside the, the box anymore because the box was all long gone. Yeah, so, it's not a box anymore, is it? There's not a box anymore. There's an ecosystem now and it's a lot bigger and it continues to turn. It doesn't just sit still like the box. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for having me, uh, uh, Darren. I really appreciate the opportunity. I always enjoy talking with you. No, this, I like I said before, thanks, Betsy, for coming on. We most definitely will have to have you come back again. Um, and for those of you that um, want to um, hear more from Betsy or you can contact Betsy, She's got a uh, consulting company out of Michigan. You can always visit her in Holland because it's wonderful in Holland. And that's uh, Radius, um, Radius AG, right? Radius Advisory Group. We're, we're at www.radiusag.com. All right, there you go. Thanks again, Betsy. Thanks a lot, Darren. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.